0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Feeling Seen podcast, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. I'm here with a treasure of an actor today. That I've been uh, honestly, when I started doing this podcast, it, it was it was another one of those people who I hoped I would get the chance to talk to. Just this year, you might know uh, any of his work from Section Eight to Expired to Glorious, all of which will treat you to very different things historically. If you're a fan of Australian television, you might know him from Home and Away. If you're a fan of American television, you might know him from True Blood. And if you're a fan of independent comedies, you might know him from The Knights of Bad Assdom, as I sure do. Um, Ryan Quantin. What else do the people need to know before we get started with the conversation today?
1: Wow, Jordan, that was quite the epic introduction in terms of my work life. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: You're so welcome.
1: Uh, It's nice to sort of uh, have an an interviewer that has not just done her research, but is also a fan. So it's, um, yeah, particularly Nights of Bad Aston. That's one that I know. If, If you know that one, that one slipped through the cracks
0: that one has slipped through the cracks very unjustly it is a wonderful delightful time <laughs> and I, I um i'm i'm friends with summer glow actually and i will say oh. i will take this moment to say she only had the kindest nicest things to say about you so while i have always enjoyed your work she that engendered you to me in a very uh special additional way knowing that summer only reported back the the most kind and delightful news about you
1: oh well, that was such that she was amazing but the cast in general was such a sort of a, a comic-con like fantasy it really <laughs> was like everyone just had their own unique alley
0: so i think the latest that will bring us to this conversation i believe is section eight i've kind of like i know glorious comes out right shortly before this and then section eight's coming out on the heels of that you had um expired which i think in in australia might have been known as Loveland. so yeah. there are multiple titles to that one you've had a very busy year of output in very different disciplines of kinds of movies. I wanted to just sort of set the stage talking about where you feel like you are creatively to be kind of dabbling in all of these different kinds of films coming out right now. Obviously, they film at different times, but how are you, Ryan Quantin, these days, the creative being?
1: Look, I, I really do love, uh, sort of, if you look back at the history of my work, particularly recently, most of it is in, in genre. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's for me where I, I, I kind of like to make my bread and butter. That's where I feel like emotionality can be at its highest too. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you can get someone to laugh, you're, a, you got more chance of getting them to go, you know, to crying and feeling sort of the, the true gamut of, of the, the human emotion mm-hmm. sort of spectrum. Um, so for me, yeah, whether it's, um, you know, sort of sci-fi, or um, you know, something like Section Eight, which is more of your sort of your, your independent action kind of, kind of movie. Mm-hmm. I still want to bring an element of uh, I don't know, rawness, mm-hmm. emotionality to it. I, yeah.
0: I I like I like rawness as a pivot into the the character that is going to sort of be the backbone of our conversation today. I I'm very excited about this. You've brought a wonderfully ambitious choice. In Russell Crowe's Maximus Decimus Meridius from the 2000 landmark action drama Gladiator, that is an incredible pick, Ryan. Well,
1: it was a it was a tough pick because there was it, it was that one, but I I figured for our for the sake of uh, section eight, it was a pretty good kind of mm. segue. Um, my other pick was actually. Uh, Eddie Murphy playing Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop, um, also sort of a, a, a sort of theoretically an action movie, comedy action. But again, I, I guess the reason that it came down to those two was because I just love the way that their lead actors transformed sort of the genre, mm-hmm. sort of made it you know, uh, I think originally Beverly Hills Cop, from what I heard, was sort of offered to Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what a different movie that would have been had he had taken it. Um, and just seeing what, you know, when you let someone of the talent of Eddie Murphy sort of go to town on an action movie, mm-hmm. it, it just sort of comes to life. And it still to this day, plays so well. And look, for the sake of this one too, I thought the same thing, you know, Russell Crowe yeah. in, the, in the sake of uh, any uh, any other actor's hands it could have fallen short it could have felt cliche like we've seen that type of story a thousand times mm-hmm. but to, to give it to give it weight to give it um, you know I, I know there was enormous amount of sort of script revisions that Russell and Ridley kind of worked on to sort of get it to that point they added a lot of the sort of the stoic philosophy to it as well which I thought was really sort of powerful. Nothing happens to anyone that he is not fitted by nature to bear. Now, that was kind of the dawn of that, a lot of that philosophy, uh, stoic philosophy too, being Marcus Aurelius.
0: The thing that I really started thinking a lot about was, and and I spoke to about about this to producer Marissa as well, when, when we got that selection from you, which is that within the context of Maximus, there is... It's, it's, we were like, what, which sort of avenue of Maximus we were wondering was the thing that kind of pinged most with you? Because there is, there is Maximus the leader, there is Maximus the slave, there is Maximus the widower, there is Maximus essentially the sort of revolutionary, um, overthrowing the gladiatorial structure of, domination imposed by, by Joaquin Phoenix's Commodus and the Emperor's Rule. And perhaps it's an amalgamation of, of so many of those things. But what was it that you were finding as sort of like the primary cell of the Maximus performance that really wheedled in and got to you?
1: It's a great question. Um, there's lots of sort of quotable lines, but for me, it's like what hits me, what hits me to the core, what, you know, shakes my very marrow. Mm. And for me, if there was one image, it's it's seeing... And feeling Russell Crowe sort of put his lips up against his charcoal wife's foot Mm -hmm. um, at the very beginning and he's sort of got snot running out of his nose and he's he's kissing that, you know, the foot of his brutalized wife. Mm -hmm. That for me is uh, where I kind of look to the performance as being pretty damn powerful Mm -hmm. you know and um how does a man or you know how does a human so carry on in the face of that type of uh trauma Mm -hmm. and so you know as a segue across to sort of section eight that's when when my character loses his wife Mm -hmm. and his young son um you know how does How does one pick up the pieces? There is that sort of psychological warfare that you're playing with yourself. You know, what, what reason, what purpose do you have to get up in the morning to, to continue to take breaths? Mm -hmm. My family was burnt and crucified while they were still alive. I knew nothing. Don't lie to me! Yeah, so I like characters where you kind of feel like you have to pick them back up off the canvas. They're, 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 um, they're wounded beyond all measure and it's the kind of wound that will never heal. Mm -hmm. You know, that for me is really powerful and captivating stuff.
0: As I was like reading interviews that you had done for, for, for various projects over various periods of time, the thing that, you uh, talked about in an interview uh, around expired coming out was uh, you talked about how over the past kind of 10 years you have found yourself drawn to darker characters and also characters that you can really you said like the word was melt into them. So there was a sort of dissociation from the recognizable Ryan Quantin into someone, you know, into something anonymous that could become something real on its own. And I wanted to talk to you about sort of that relationship that you have as both an actor, but also, like, a professionalist industry, what is your relationship with that kind of recognition? And how has that evolved over time? Because I would imagine, like, at very high exposure points, like, that can kind of change approaches to decision-making or how you relate to yourself as an actor, as a tool, as a vessel. Like, how has that path been for you?
1: Incredible. You know, I I, I feel like acting has very much been a, a form of therapy in my life, you mm. know, and, and the choice to go darker with a, a lot of my, you know, I would say the last decade of characters has very much been a, um, you know, I, I, I must say kind of pretty much ever since true blood, I really did want to do characters that were not comedic mm-hmm. that, that had, uh, you, you know, a real kind of not necessarily an evil to them, but mm. just, a um, sort of a harrowing nature to them, I guess, a haunting, a hauntedness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that for me was, I, I, I like to think I'm pretty even keel as a person and pretty kind of laid back. So it was a, a real kind of uh, exploration into the darker realms of, you know, what makes me, me. And I think everyone's got, you know, everyone needs to at some point in their life shine a light into those dark places of themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I, I read, you, read you talk about something to that effect as well, saying that, like, you, you know, that there is a sort of surprising amount, obviously, within all of us, um, once we start to peel back those layers in terms of, like, you know, and you talked about uh, acting, making film and television as a form of exercising kind of demons in that way. And I wondered what... What is what are things that you have found as you have begun to do that work? And, and what are things that you, what are sort of outcomes that you found you've had in going into these certain, I would imagine, very deliberately chosen characters to sort of align with this value set of of role selection at this time in your life? Like, what have you sort of worked, what have you worked through through some of these, some of these darker journeys you've gone on? Yeah, that, well, there's
1: a lot of that that, you know, I'm still sort of working through mm-hmm. and there's some of it that I just don't want to talk about. But, um... Fair. Um, but in in terms of uh, on a project to project basis, it's it, it's all very different, you know. Here in, for Section Eight, you know, I'm I'm playing a, a returning two tour kind of um, uh, marine that's that's suffered a, a pretty severe case of PTSD, and then toppling that now with the the loss of his wife and kid. I, I think you have to go to a place inside of yourself that to give that story credence to give you know the that character weight um and to justify the violence that sort of follows Mm -hmm. for me there's it was far more important to um yeah really jump as as deep into that psychological world of him than the physical i i I knew the physical would come it was more like a muscle memory type thing Mm -hmm. but to live and breathe uh this guy's life was gonna be a a real trick. But that's something that I've kind of really learned to live with too was you know, even with uh Glorious, mm-hmm. yeah, it was only a three, three and a half week shoot, but uh <laughs> it was pretty much me on screen I've, the entire time. That must have so. put
0: you through it throughout that three and a half weeks. Yeah, but I'm a bit
1: of a masochist at heart, so <laughs> I I, I Sign up to these things, and you 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 have to be a little bit crazy to want to be in this business, and even crazier to last, Um, and last happily. Like I really do love what I do, and I love the the level of um, camaraderie that exists, particularly in independent film. It's just so freaking beautiful. There's not a day, even an hour on set, where I don't sort of pinch myself, think a how lucky I am, and b you know we're It does remind me of how good humans can be when we work towards a common goal, you know, when we have something passionate Mm -hmm. to sort of fight for, to get up in the morning for. I think for me it's such a good kind of recourse of the, the human spirit.
0: Well, and that you actually touched on two things just now that I wanted to get what I wanted to get to with you. And I'm going to come back to the independent film question. But first, I'm going to go to the because you said like with um with a performance like Section 8 and I think um very much so, too. Like you said the physicality would come and you knew that. And I wanted to ask you about your relationship with physicality in performance and, and watching something like Gladiator 2. Like that's such a visceral role like it's such a meaty just sort of hands like meat hooks of Russell Crowe's role pounding his way through this movie for as sensitive and vulnerable as it is as well and then I feel like I think of you as a very physical performer like from from something that is you know your role had a lot of comedy to it but a lot of sensitivity we're not, we're not glossing over Jason Stackhouse in this conversation and his emotionally dynamic nature
1: well everybody's different you know some things come hard some things come easy For me, math was hard. Girls weren't.
0: It's because you're sweet. And kind. It's got nothing to do with what you look like. And if you're telling yourself that, you're selling yourself short.
1: Bridget, if I was sweet and kind, none of this would be happening.
0: Um, but I feel like that was a very physical role in how you embodied it. And obviously section eight is inglorious is a very physical performance too, particularly for something that takes place entirely in a rest stop bathroom. And so I wanted to hear from you about your relationship with physicality within character and like, what sort of comes first with you? Is it like working through it emotionally and finding that, that kernel to hold on to, or is it like finding the physicality and sort of like the animal nature of a character?
1: Uh, inside out. Mm. Yeah, I usually find for me, particularly as I've gone on in my career, that if, if the lions are coming, uh, are, are sort of hard to learn, then it's usually not a not something for me. But if if, and, and I don't mean that just because it's going to take take time to learn. It's just if it speaks to me straight out of the gate. Mm. Sometimes I can read something once and just know it. It's just it's embedded in there. It's like it's mm. it's speaking from a part of me. You know, you have those. Those great, uh, I'm not comparing myself to these guys at all, but you you, you you hear stories of songwriters, whether it's sort of Van Morrison or whatnot, that sort of when he's asked about um, how did he come up with the lyrics to a particular song, he mm. says it came through me. Mm. You know, I can't remember how it came, but it came through me. Like I, I feel like there's certain, you know, again, independent filmmakers, visionaries that I like to align myself with that they speak their characters speak to me mm-hmm. in just a really natural and profound way, so for me if once I get that, then it's uh it's pretty easy the the truth is already there then mm-hmm. you know I don't have to work that hard for the truth um and I've always been a big fan of that anyway in seeking that. I think audiences will forgive slight accent um fuck ups, <laughs> but they won't they won't forgive you. Um, giving them fiction as opposed to really believing in what you're doing. But yeah, if I can see you or feel you laughing, no. I, oh. I
0: I think I think a consistent through line of your career is that you're actually really good with an American accent, particularly particularly appealing Southern accent. Which another movie that I uh, I will say it somehow went through the cracks, but it shouldn't have. Hurricane Heist, honestly, <laughs> honestly one of the most entertaining action movies of the past 10 years. If you guys haven't watched Hurricane Ice yet, you should super do that. That's still a slam, baby! A thing that struck me about both Glorious and Section 8 for being called upon to be, you know, quite different arcs within your characters in that movie, I was really impressed by how feral you felt in both of those roles. Like, it was just sort of like an animal uncaged. And to i to know that that is sort of like the thing that emanates from i'm really interested in that concept of like how material that you know you're you're going to be sort of more at home in is something that just sort of maps on you more quickly like i think that that is a fascinating element of like a marriage of like the emotional and the physical of just knowing that like when a script is something that's going to be for you it's going to like actually imprint and be easier for you to put back out into the world like almost immediately
1: yeah I love that choice of word too Jordan Feral, you know that's such a um it is something that I search for in characters you know um and i've I've been sort of blessed in the last couple of years to have characters that had a pretty unique case of feral um you know because again i i i have to highlight like in these independent movies you you I'm I'm taking myself to to places that are uncomfortable that are vulnerable but I'm surrounding myself with such good quality technicians artists across the board so everyone's putting in their you know their blood sweat and tears into this thing so I feel like you know I, that's the least that I can do mm-hmm. is is sort of expose expose myself in that way
0: and i and and to the independent cinema to the ind- independent cinema conversation i wondered you know you you've worked on very like high gloss and like big production stuff like i feel like like true blood was was truly like a it's a landmark in prestige television it's it became an hbo juggernaut it's very stylish and then but you you speak so passionately and it seems like so frequently about your your desire to you know not only work with independent filmmakers but work with like new and emerging filmmakers i've heard you talk about that specifically and i wanted to hear about what is the difference in creative collaboration between, like, you and sort of the the people leading the charge in, like, a a large production film television situation, like, like, say, like, a True Blood or perhaps Home and Away, versus, like, the independent films that you do? How do those things activate you differently as a participant and actor?
1: Well, it's also based off of, like, where I was and who I was in my career at that time, Mm -hmm. you know? I was just (laughs) insanely happy to get the... The True Blood gig, you know, to have the chance to be on HBO Mm. on an Alan Hall show, um, surrounding myself with, you know, Oscar winners like uh, Anna Paquin, you know, it's, it was, it would take a, a braver person than me to say no to that. It was pretty. You know, so I was just happy to be, you know, in camp. You know, I was happy as five as honestly seven seasons. It changed my life that show. Mm-hmm. But it also it also guided me in such a way where I didn't have to make decisions um based off of anything else other than how did how did they inspire me creatively. Mm-hmm. From that point on, I really wanted to be uh, in charge of my own career and and, and make choices. Um that I feel passionate about. Mm-hmm. And and so I think it, for me, in terms of control, I, I do get um, more say in the independent movies. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that sense of collaboration with a, with a writer and a director. I really do. Um, and I feel like um, that relationship can be very symbiotic. It can be... Um, really beautiful and reminds me of the stories that I, I've read and uh, heard about um, filmmaking in the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in the 60s that it, there was a, a, an enormous amount of artist-to-artist collaboration. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of times these days you, we, we don't even get sort of rehearsals or anything like that. And back in the day it used to happen a lot, you know, mm-hmm. even in my early career you'd get it at least a couple of days. And it's it's very rare these days that you get that. So you've got to kind of um, maximize that time um, of connection before you get to set as quickly as you can.
0: We'll be back with more from Ryan Quanton after a short break. Then, rarely do we get to address breaking news on the One Quick Thing segment, everybody, but podcast favorite movie X has become podcast favorite trilogy? So I'll have one quick thing before I go to say about the upcoming movie, Maxine. Are elephants right-handed? What's the middlest size in the universe? What is the history of fan fiction? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive... Mm, Did you? (laughs) 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 And my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. And we get to say, f***. (laughs) Maybe not in the trailer Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything Every other Thursday on Maximum Fun
1: Are you ready to binge watch something Old? The Greatest Generation is a podcast About Star Trek by a couple of hosts A little bit embarrassed to even have A Star Trek podcast Hosted by me, Ben Harrison And me, Adam Pranica We get into the critical, the technical The science fictional aspects Of the show we love while roasting it and each other at the same time. We've completed an entire series about Star Trek The Next Generation and another one about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and we've just begun Star Trek Voyager, so now is a great time to start watching a new Star Trek series with us. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts, and become a friend of DeSoto today.
0: Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I've been talking with the Australian actor Ryan Quantum. Since he left his True Blood character, Jason Stackhouse, behind, he has been embracing all kinds of genre roles, including the recent horror thriller, Strange Foray into the Sadistic and Supernatural, Glorious, and the upcoming action thriller, Section 8, which comes out on September 23rd. Let's get back to that conversation. It's very exciting. My, one of my favorite regional traditions of film in all the world is Australian genre cinema. I, I think it is just a uh, best in class uh, from a, a wonderful decades-long tradition going, obviously... Well, from- that
1: was, yeah, Mad Max was another one of my choices for today.
0: Well, now, okay, w- what I like about um, a couple of those choices are, with we have Russell Crowe, Australian actor, we have, obviously, Mad Max, Australian production. It, I if there is a special resonance to you of being able to watch talent from the place you come from sort of succeed at that kind of level, if that plays any role in like watching these things and having them sort of embed specifically in you.
1: It definitely. Definitely. You know, like I said, you know, it's those, it's those images that then sort of strike a chord within you mm-hmm. um, that I can recall better than sort of lion said. Mm mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, it's like totally. a, what is that visceral sort of response? What are what are those images that first come to mind when you think of these movies that have very much shaped the course of your life? Um, you know, for, for for us, I remember like Beverly Hills Cop was one of sort of three or four VHS tapes that my grandma had at her place. <laughs> yeah. And I was a pretty rambunctious little shit of a boy and i would always (laughs) run away from you know mom or dad as they're trying to kind of beat me with the wooden spoon and i'd run over to grandma's house and put on you know her vhs and end up just watching kind of beverly hills cop over and over again um so sometimes they're those movies that just reminds you of some times in your life Mm -hmm. um but then you know there's those movies for me that also remind me of how great the art of sort of acting or the art uh, the art of sort of playing pretend mm-hmm. um, can be it's such a bizarre profession you know it really is like we we're, we're
0: it's not like anything else
1: i know man it's it's been around for so long that the art of sort of storytelling and and um we're gifted with this beautiful imagination so um you know it would be a a damn shame to not sort of use it and it's 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 funny as you get older you sort of Society tells you to sort of um, get more serious, Mm -hmm. but there's a a part of, I think, growing older that you should never lose that sense of kind of, not necessarily innocence, but that childlike qualities are always, um, doesn't make you a child to have them.
0: And so where then, like with your, say like, you know, so you have like this kind of 10 year run of you know choosing these sort of like darker like a lot of interiority within these characters sort of underneath layers of sort of pain and like you said characters that need to be sort of picked up off the mat and then as you go on in your years and you try to hold on to that sense of wonder do you find yourself then like casting an eye forward do you find yourself like wanting to go to the axel foley of it more and yeah and go to though to that kind of strain of what pinged within you
1: Yes. I'm not taking any more of this shit from you. How much this little stunt of yours gonna cost this city? I don't think cost is the issue here, sir. I think the issue should be my blatant disregard for proper procedure. You damn right, wise ass. For sure, for sure. I, I, I I'm, uh, I'm feeling like I'm coming out of this uh, a little bit of the darkness. Mm. Uh, although, having said that, I've just finished shooting a first season of a, an FX series where I'm, uh, you know, I'm playing a rather heinous uh, man again, <laughs> but. Um, uh that's actually worth talking about too that's octavia e butler's sort of first work of uh lovely incredible writer oh uh, wow yeah like black writer from the you know uh late 70s Uh, and this is the first piece of her work kindred that's actually been put to film or television so um, i cannot believe how
0: long it has taken for octavia butler to come to the big screen
1: i know i know um so to sort of be Leading the charge and and knowing the her beautiful legacy and and the onus that we have on us to sort of uh, give credence to her work, um, it's it's made it a really special sort of production. It was one of the reasons that I wanted to go back to television for. Um, i sort of said after True Blood, it was such a beautiful long run that I I, I kind of just wanted to do you know more independent movies, and that's kind of what I was doing before True Blood. But mm-hmm. um, if I was going to put my you know my time and my effort into something it was it was going to be something that had something to say on the macro level not just sort of appeal to people's um, emotions but it -hmm. it sort of had something deeper to say about where we where we are as a species
0: (laughs) i feel like you talked about that a lot around the release of expired as well
1: yeah i did yeah and well that's uh, filmmakers these days you know particularly the the that's a Aussie filmmaker, Ivan Sen for expired and also Seth Lani in 2067. He was, he called it like a, a, a cli-fi, a climate uh, thriller. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's where I feel like we as artists show our voices in the, in the work that you choose to kind of commit to. Um, And for me, I, you know, I, I believe in the power of uh, artistic healing, I guess.
0: Well, and okay, so then thinking then in terms of like, I, I feel like in the past few years, like film obviously has always had a lot to say. It's been it's been it's been a medium of empathy. Like this is this is a time time honor tradition. But I feel like in the past sort of five to six years, there's been a lot of emphasis outright in the mainstream conversation on the interior nature of a film the conscientiousness of of the being a conscientious creator and and putting things out into the world with a lot of intention behind them that obviously doesn't have to be everything but i feel like there's been a lot of conversation around that and from you know you taking the sweep of sort of like the past 10 years and then coming into the last few with these like like you said perhaps these cli-fi thrillers that you've been making do you find that your variety of choice in wanting to make movies that have that sort of conscientiousness and intent behind them? Do you find there is a difference in your volume of choice now compared to previously? Or has it actually been about the same?
1: I feel like I've just got more specific, you know, mm. what it, it, it's, it, it what's, what's truly lighting the fire inside of me, mm. you know? Um, and sometimes I'm not even aware that there is something burning inside until you read that script and you feel that you know the the writer's heartbeat started coming through, mm-hmm. pulsing through the script, and it's like, wow, this is this is a train I need to jump on, mm-hmm. and I will beg, borrow, steal, kill to get onto this because mm-hmm. um, it's it has something really purposeful to say, and there couldn't be a a better time to kind of say it. You know, mm-hmm. I, like getting back to Octavia, like her work seems just as profound, if not more so, sort of now, and we need it now more than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, so I and I I can't help but feel that there's a so a myriad of filmmakers out there that are just not getting heard. So if I can lend my voice and you know a, a star power to these people to help them get their films financed, what a beautiful thing to be able to do! I never dreamed to be in this position. I never dreamed that I could be. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just worked with a couple of brothers recently on a on a film where I only did five days on it, but. Um, they were just so unbelievably grateful and, and um, I, you know, I, I still see myself as this sort of first timer in many ways. So it's just, uh, it's weird going into the uh, setting an example type of mode in my life where I'm sort of beginning to play older characters and, you know, fathers even. Mm-hmm. And uh, seeing that sort of segue into my life has been kind of interesting too.
0: One of my most – perhaps my most random personal dream, Ryan, is to start (laughs) Start a film fund for young women starting out in Australian cinema because I know a few young women – filmmakers in Australia who like ha- have a very hard time getting started and and breaking through the sort of like screen Australia format and the sort of boys club that they recognize around them that they have a very hard time penetrating into so i knowing that you have this passion to to be to be the car on which the trailer can be hitched to zoom forward is a very exciting thing for me personally to hear from you
1: yeah, well, look, I oh, know I I don't even see myself as the car, you know. I think they're driving that car. I, mm. I think I'll, I'll I'll be, you know, part of the baggage, you know, yeah. and part of part.
0: Might be the gas in the tank, Ryan. You might be the gas in the tank.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that's such a a beautiful dream to have, and and the more people that can kind of highlight those stories, I think that's that's my position on this, on this earth is to kind of help help bring these these people out these stories Mm -hmm. out yeah for sure i love that yeah look australia does have some some wonderful filmmakers as does everywhere has some beautiful filmmakers that are just not getting heard um i've always made a point of going back to australia and working with uh aussie you know directors and and filmmakers storytellers because um that was the industry that started me and Mm -hmm. it is such a unique um hodgepodge of a country Mm -hmm. in terms of the 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 stories that come out of there are surprisingly universal, but at the same time, very, very specific. Like, you just wouldn't see the type of, you know, terrain, um, the type of, uh, uh, you know, cultural kind of sticks that happen um, in in places. You know, I, I don't know if you ever saw Muriel's Wedding. You know, For the Tony first Collette. time
0: just 3 weeks ago I saw Muriel's Wedding and I looked up I was like did this come out the same year as Priscilla Queen of the Desert and it fucking did I was like wow only in yeah, Australia earlier, are you earlier, getting these two in movies the in the yeah. same year
1: <laughs> Yeah well she's another one too like Tony Collette oh. like her her body of work her her taste is just throughout the years I can't even cite one sort of bad choice or world one kind of like mm, I, I don't see where that one went it, it's she's always given it her all she's always worked with really interesting uh, uh storytellers um and such a huge huge inspiration to a cat like me you know I'm <laughs> um, trying to make my way out in America um she really did kind of cross the bridge in such a in her, she did it her way mm-hmm. you know she never kind of compromised you, you, you look at the great things that she did I you know the sixth sense I thought in, the owed a lot of its success to her performance
0: it takes Tony Collette about five minutes to be the star of any movie even if she's not in it for five more minutes after that
1: <laughs> yeah it's so true it's so true
0: well and I I because I because you're here and I f- absolutely love talking about Australian cinema with people um a thing that I I, you know, talking about the feral nature of your performance in um, Section 8 and then talking about, like, the sort of increasingly crazy physicality of what you're doing in Glorious – and and then like gravitating toward a character like like Mad Max in 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 the in George Miller's films there's one of the great traditions of Australian cinema is the madman is is the the person unleashed and i've had the chance to talk to a handful of creators from Australia about like sort of what is that about the sort of dna of Australian cinema that just lends itself so well to these phenomenally sort of outlandishly Boundless characters, and I wanted to to hear from you about about that. Like if you had any sort of kinship with the Australian Madman character, like Toe Cutter, like Max himself, like like Jared Jack in wolf creek like anything going on in wake and fright like anything going on in boar like i i wanted to hear if you had sort of particular tenets of australian cinema that you felt very sort of like at home in or you felt like there was just a sort of regional pride in how these things are presented on screen because this is one of my favorite topics of conversation
1: oh that's such a gorgeous question and 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 uh um Yes. The answer is yes, yes. to each, each and every one of those characters um, and to each and every one of those stories. It's, a, it's our weird sense of isolation in Australia mm. combined with this wanting to break free and then mashing into that this sense of, um, you know, the, the colonialism that we did have, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to kind of prove that we, we, we could stand alone on our own. It's a real sense of pride, you mm. know. That we have this phrase in Australia called the lid, the little Aussie battler. <laughs> you know, it was it was sort of this sort of um, a bit of a, a figment of the cultural imagination that we were we were always kind of uh, metaphysically and perhaps existentially going to war every day, trying to prove ourselves, mm. trying to prove that you know that we had the courage to. To kind of stand as a nation, so there is this real sense of um, cultural pride that we we do have. And you're talking about the movies that you kind of alluded to. Um, was that kind of a particularly in that that sort of 80s 90s Australian cinema was just kicking butt, making wow. you know, really had something to say, and 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 the government was fully behind it um what's happened in recent years though jordan is that some unknown reason like australian moviegoers just aren't turning up to see australian movies
0: i have heard that i've heard that from so many australians they're like yeah we get this you know we get all these great notices like in the films come to the states and back home everyone's like you make movies like wow you guys are making some of the best movies in the world (laughs)
1: Yeah, but uh, you know, but for some unknown reason, you know, it's sort of got to make it in another territory first uh-huh. before they can kind of embrace it. Huh? Um, and look, we, we've been trying to change the shift for a, for a while, but um, you know, it, it's um, yeah, it just sort of hasn't hasn't happened. I, I don't know why this just came to my head, but there's an, a, a kind of a little known Aussie movie. Uh, called Van Diemen's Land that's kind of hard to find. But I don't been, know this yeah i I highly highly recommend it it's it's definitely a brutal film to watch, but again um the so so are some of the ones that you mentioned the wolf Creeks and the uh, Mad Max. I think Wake um, and fright
0: is one of the most emotionally brutal movies oh, I've ever Making watched
1: <laughs> yeah 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 well it yeah that, then there you go
0: i I you know it's my job here to find like the patterns and everything that we're saying and i it it is. It is interesting to me that, like, characters that have, and and people who've been able to take performances to sort of these, like, iconic levels, like an Axel, Axel Foley, like a Maximus, and and obviously, like, a Mad, Mad Max himself. These are all characters who are very much defined by the ways in which they don't fit into the natural order. Even Axel Foley, he is very much his own thing within a system that does not replicate individuals like him, which is make, what makes him extraordinary, what makes him stand out. So, I appreciate that in this conversation of talking about, like, the sort of intrinsic sense of rebelliousness within sort of Australian culture that imbues it into cinema and what the the, uh, director Greg McLean told me he's like we're a nation of outlaws like we have this strain of like you know we started as it was a penal colony and we began as criminals and so we have this phenomenal sort of tension between civilization and polite society and that which wants to sort of break it open and I appreciate that each of these characters you've sort of name checked specifically are ones that are acting against the sort of status quo in order to be the like rising hero i i find a nice tidy bit of symmetry in that
1: oh me too look and i'm trying to kind of nail nail down exactly sort of what it is but it is a it's sometimes for me too. It's recklessness taken to the nth degree, mm-hmm. you know, to to the furthest, to almost survival. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this great book that I love called "On Boxing" by Joyce Carol Oates. Uh, such a she's done such a sort of fabulous expose on on boxing. But she and I, I kind of look look at this particular quote that I'm about to read to you mm. as how Australians particularly artistic uh, Australians, can kind of uh, process survival. Mm-hmm. So she, she says, the boxer must somehow learn by what effect of will non-boxers surely cannot guess. So this is Australians. Mm-hmm. You know, Every time I say boxer, think Australians. Okay. To, to inhibit his own instinct for survival, he must learn to exert his will over his merely human and animal impulses, not only to flee pain, but to flee the unknown in psychic terms this sounds like magic levitation sanity turned inside out madness revealed as a higher and more pragmatic form of sanity so that that's kind of
0: that last slide where- is so good <laughs> <laughs> i mean i feel like that i feel like kind of hits the crescendo of glorious as madness as this kind of refined form of sanity and sort of what it ascends to. And then I immediately, as you're reading that, I'm just thinking of like the movie Razorback and those like intense close-ups on our characters where you just see the wildness of like generations behind them. And it's so evocative.
1: Oh, that's a, yeah, I love that expression. The wildness of generations behind them. Yeah, that's great. I mean, look, when you can see that in, in, you know, that's what, oh man, it just, it, it really makes sort of the, the very life of you sort of, um, I don't know. It's, it's lifeblood for me that those kind of moments when, when you're, when you're, you're standing, you know, in the middle of nowhere in some podunk town and, uh, it's three, four in the morning and, uh, everyone's been working their butts off and you've got this, you know, four or five page scene to do. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. <laughs> like it's just such a crazy, um, electrifying, business and and world to be a part of um and then when you kind of you nail it at the end of that day and everyone's sort of happy and there's that kind of sense that this is going to live on longer than this moment mm-hmm. um you can't help but sort of feel i don't know um that we did something mm-hmm. that we did something kind of and perhaps even a little bit special
0: that is i, I that times out perfectly with my unfortunate moment where i have to say we have had we have concluded the conversation and i feel like that is just the bow to put on it and ryan i appreciate you so much taking the time to have this really nice dialogue with me about your career and your work
1: yeah, I can't help but think it's going to be a great day for me. Thank you. You started off in such a great way. I appreciate you.
0: I, I hope we, yeah, we're both sending each other off into the world to have a really great day. And yeah. congratulations on all three movies that you've had come out this year. And I look very forward to that Octavia Butler project that you're talking about.
1: No, uh, Thanks so much, Jordan. Um, keep being the, the beautiful woman that you are. <laughs> really appreciate it. Thank you. This is a lovely interview.
0: Yes, thank you so much for taking the time, Ryan.
1: Yeah, you got it.
0: What a pleasure to get a chance to talk to Ryan Quantin. Thank you again to him. You can see him in so many places this year. Uh, Notably, Section 8, which comes out just a week after this episode drops, and it'll be streaming on AMC+. Glorious is streaming on Shudder. Expired, also known as Loveland is rentable on most platforms and it sounds like Kindred will be coming to FX so that's a long list of things where you can see new Ryan Quantin uh so pick one choose spin the wheel choose your adventure um and now the one quick thing before I go oh you know it's rare to have a furniture item in a segment that is meant to be... Uh, spontaneous and just sort of out of the blue of whatever the moment conjures but <laughs> this is spontaneous because when X came out and I was like I love X uh, I certainly didn't, I didn't see it at a festival where, like, kind of the buzz came out. Like, I didn't realize when people were talking about Pearl, a prequel, that it was literally actually happening. I thought it was just, like, a trailer that was put together for fun as, like, a, oh, and here's some bonus, like, a button for you. But then, like, X comes out and it's like, wait, this movie I love is going to have a prequel with one of, like, starring one of my favorite actors carrying over from the first movie to play the, like, younger iteration of one of the characters she plays in X. Um, wow. Incredible. Yes, let's go. And it was a a, a feast of Mia Goth to continue. I've seen Pearl. I really like Pearl. And Mia Goth gets to go absolutely buck wild in it. So I'm excited for Britney to experience that. And then, and then... Uh, Pearl is making its premiere run right now at festivals. It played at Venezia. It um, just played at TIFF. And uh, coming out of that, much like, I think it was South by Southwest was the ex premiere. people, like, critics watching it, it, they didn't get this at Venezia, but critics watching it at TIFF coming out of, like, a Midnight Madness screening were like, OMG, it's a trilogy. Turns out there was a little teaser cut For a third film in this series, we're riding that Mia Goth train. I have punched my ticket. I'm going to the ends of the earth with it. It is called Maxine with three X's. Maxine being Mia's character from X, and this is her. We're following her along on her journey into 1985 Los Angeles. Maxine said she's gonna be a fucking star and whether it's in the San Fernando Valley or it's in Hollywood proper Maxine with three x's I feel like might be on the cusp of stardom maybe she's got herself a reputation in the town uh I I, I can't wait to find out I can't wait to see Mia in 1980s uh sex worker glam like that sounds like a thrill of my lifetime I just I those of us who have been toiling in the Mia mines for so long have just been waiting for the world to see what we have seen, find the knowledge we have been in possession of for so long. Not only uh, as an incredibly dynamic talent and a ferocious screen performer who uh, it just seems fearless and, and curious in her role selection, but also is just like a fucking star. She is a movie star. This one, and now. She's like, I don't know what, I wish I, somebody tell me, somebody give me the oral history of how this trilogy came about that was seemingly pre greenlit before anybody knew how these movies would be received or how they would perform. And that's the kind of brio that I want from film executives. Make the fucking blind bet. Say yes to a good idea to a trusted filmmaker with an incredible cast. Just write the checks, rubber stamp it. Make that movie, make, shoot the prequel while you're doing it. Don't give a shit about box office returns, just make the bet. Fear Street, Greenlight 3, put them out, one month after the other. It's very exciting. So, yeah, Maxine. I don't know when. I kind of hope before the end of the year, Um, just to, like, have the harmonious, like, all wrap it up in 2022, like, phenomenal showing kind of thing. Um, But I don't know. I assume it's been shot. I assume it's done. Maybe it hasn't. No idea. I just know that it's Mia Goth. I just know that I've been promised more Mia Goth. And considering the full commitment on her Pearl Press tour to wearing I just buried my rich husband outfits uh, onto press lines. I hope we can continue this attitude. I hope that she continues to look like she she will fuck and kill your man. Um, and then show up, she will glide into dinner looking gothic fabulous. Um, yeah, Mia Goth knows what she's serving and she's decided to, she's decided to serve it cold. So yeah, that's Maxine's coming. So that's the one quick thing. Uh, stay tuned for more updates about the, uh, Mia Goth A24 Thai West trilogy. I hope I have more to share. But that for now is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingSceneAtMaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, where I will probably be talking about Mia Goff, uh, I'm Dork on Twitter, J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun.